Hello, hello, everybody. Today is Tuesday, November 29th. We are nearing the end of November. This is officially episode four of One of the Boys. As I'm recording this, there is Monday Night Football on the TV right now. Colts versus Steelers, and it looks like the Steelers just picked off Matt Ryan. I had a feeling if they got some pressure on him that that's what would happen, and it looks like that's that's the start that they're off to. Anyway, today, uh, lot, lots of good stuff I'm going to talk about. Um, it was actually kind of exciting to put together some of these notes because a lot of really good stuff. Uh, college football was crazy. NFL is always crazy. Got, got a little bit of World Cup, trying to start to understand it a little bit. There's a big game for the U.S. today, if you're listening to this on Tuesday. Um, tomorrow for me, because I'm recording and it's a Monday, but good, but a lot of good stuff. We'll kick off with my underdog of the week, woof, woof. Then I'll talk about the college football rivalry week and all the chaos it ensued. It was wild, absolutely wild, what you would expect of rivalry week. I will then go into sad girl hours. So I have a sad girl hours I am so excited to talk about this week. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It all makes sense in a little bit. And then I will close out the day with some fantasy studs. My fantasy picks have been absolutely awful. Uh, Yeah, so don't listen to my advice. I'm still going to make my picks, though, okay? On this day in sports, in 1934, the Chicago Bears defeated the Detroit Lions 19-16. This was the first NFL game that was broadcasted nationally. Also on this day in 1971, the first ever pro golf championship was held at Walt Disney World. Shout out to Disney. And then also on this date in 2015, the Grey Cup, which is the Canadian Football League Super Bowl, um, was played. And the Edmonton Eskimos beat the Ottawa Red Blacks 26-20 for their 14th championship in history. Pretty exciting day in sports. It was a pretty exciting weekend in sports. I'm excited to talk about it today. Welcome to episode four of One of the Boys. Tell me why my intro song is so cringy, but yet I always find myself after I import it into the audio file wanting to listen to it. I don't I don't quite understand. Um I think it's just the fact that I sat in GarageBand and took the time to to make it that I feel I feel a little bit proud and it's absolutely awful. Um but I also don't think it's one of those things I'm ever going to change and I hope one day when this takes off or if this takes off, that 
I get, I just get, I get roasted for it, but like, I'm, I'm not going to change it. I'm not going to change it. I made it on GarageBand. That's, that's my masterpiece right there. Back to sports. That's some more important stuff here. So before I get into the woof, woof underdog of the week, I did want to recap some of the bets uh, and picks and takes, whatever that I had told everybody to take. Well, I had told everybody to take last week, but I, whoopsies, didn't release the episode until yesterday. So you probably didn't know that these were the bets that I was taking, but I'm going to tell you anyway. The Lions Bills over was the first one. That was an L. The second one was the Giants to cover the spread. So they were um they were giving the Cowboys 10 points and the Giants scored one of those backdoor touchdowns at the end of the game where it didn't matter. It didn't I mean it didn't impact the outcome of the game at all, but it pulled the Giants within 10 points, so that was a W. My next one was Patriots Vikings. I actually the this was kind of unique. I don't traditionally do this, but the bet that I took was that the Patriots would be winning at halftime. And let me just pull up what the score was at halftime. It was tied at halftime. So I don't even recall, but apparently that wasn't one that I won. Well, I pushed, I guess. Maybe that's why I don't recall what happened. Um, So pushed on that one. It was tied going into halftime. And then the one I had mentioned, I didn't actually put money on this, was for I put it over under to the amount of sacks Andy Dalton would have. I said it was five and a half, and I personally would have bet the over on that. But I don't – see, I didn't do my research. I wrote these at the top of my sheet of things to talk about but didn't actually go through and figure out what the stats were. So shame on me, but I am trying to figure this out now. So let's see. The Saints played the 49ers. What a poopy game. Um, the 49ers are significant literally just because of their defense because they could only put up 13 points against the Saints. But let's see. There were – one sack? Wow. All right, so I was I was one for four. One for four. So I'm not claiming to be an expert. I'll never sit here and pretend to be an expert, but I just I like to put the, the feelers out there and put my thoughts out there and what I would do and whatever. I don't even know why I'm trying to justify why I do it. You can listen to me or you don't have to. I'm going to continue to think what I think and put out there what I want to put out there. And that's that. Uh, All right, moving right along. Let's get into the underdog of the week. Just an average week for the underdog here. In the NBA, there were 51 total games. Out of those 51 games, 18 of them, the dog was the winner, making the dog successful 35.3% of the time. There were some big ones. The Pistons were uh, 12-point dogs to the Nuggets on Tuesday. They overcame that and were victorious. Again, the Pistons um, we were 12-point dogs to the Jazz on Wednesday and overcame that. Those look like they were the two – yes, those were the two largest ones. So Pistons, woof, woof. NBA dog of the week, we'll say. Not the dog of the week, but we'll, we'll crown you the NBA dog of the week. 
Then looking at NHL, there was a total of 53 games in the NF and NHL. Of those 20 of them, the dog was victorious, giving them a success rate in the NHL of 37.7%. Some big ones to mention was the Coyotes over the Hurricanes. Hurricanes were heavily favorited in that one. And that appears to be the biggest upset of the week in the NHL was the Arizona Coyotes over the Carolina Hurricanes. Woof, woof, go Coyotes. Then looking at the NFL, not a good week for the dog in the NFL. Again, Monday Night Football is on right now. So not all the games have been played, but there were three dogs on Sunday, there were no dogs on the out of the three games that were played on Thanksgiving. So the three dogs were the Browns over the Buccaneers. The Browns uh, won by a score of twenty three to seventeen. Weird game. I don't. I don't. I could sit here and dissect all the stupid decisions that the Bucks made on offense, coaching decisions, but. I won't. Um, the Jaguars over the Ravens. Jaguars go for two at the buzzer and take a 28-27 to 27 lead with very little time left, although it almost was enough time for a Justin Tucker monster field goal, but needed maybe another yard or so. Um, so Jags win that 28-27. to 27. They were three-point dogs going into that. And then the Raiders. How about the Raiders? Are the Raiders 2-0? and Raiders are 2-0 and since being a sad girl. So maybe being being sad girl is uh, is is lucky. Um, if that's – well, it's brought luck to the two sad girl teams that have been the teams the last two weeks. So last week it was Tennessee. The week before that it was the Raiders. The Raiders have not lost since. And the Volunteers won this weekend. I think it was 59 to nothing, like something stupid. So, hey, maybe Sad Girl Hours is what you need to be, but I don't want to say that because I actually hate the team I chose for Sad Girl Hours this week. You know what? No. It's not a jinx. It's not luck. None of it is luck. I'm not even superstitious. Um, But anyway, Raiders are are dogs. Woof, woof, come out on top. College football, I'm going to talk a little bit about rivalry week, but... Holy shit, it was, it was, I mean, best week in college football. Not even close. Nothing is, was remotely better except maybe when Tennessee beat Alabama, but that's only because they tore down the goalpost. Uh, there was five rather significant upsets in college football, the largest of them being South Carolina defeating Clemson. Um... But it was it kicked off right off the bat on Thursday on Thanksgiving night. Mississippi State is victorious over Ole Miss. What a what a game! I'm going to talk more about those, like I said, a little bit later in the show. Um, NC State beats UNC in two overtimes. Michigan just trumps the shit out of Ohio State. Boo hoo! Texas A&M makes LSU look a little bit silly, and then South Carolina hands Clemson its first. Home loss in, I think it's about six years since 2016. Wild madness. I'm not going to talk about that too much more because I'm going to break each of those games down a little bit later. Um, but out of the top 25 teams, there were 21 games. Five, uh, five of the dogs won, giving the dog a success rate of 23.8%. 
I've also included the the World Cup into our dogs for this week. I think that's rather relevant. I also did not understand soccer betting. So they they actually don't there's not really a spread in soccer. Um, they just kind of give each team like the odds of one team winning, one or the other team winning or drawing. And I've I've been I've actually been watching soccer and I'm I'm getting into soccer. I'm looking forward to the US playing tomorrow. But I I cannot stand the fact that like so many games end in a draw. It drives me nuts. Those zero zero draws, oh my god. God, I want I want to die. I mean, these guys are running around on the field for 90 plus some minutes for it to end without a single goal. To me that it's I'm I'm watching soccer, I'm getting into it. It's a great sport. I don't want anyone to think that I I don't respect and appreciate the sport of soccer because I truly do. I mean, these guys are out there running 8 miles. I'm just saying from the perspective of a fan, for you to watch got you know 22 guys or however many are on the field running around for 90 plus minutes for not a single goal to happen i mean that's quite literally like watching someone run a marathon while kicking a ball back and forth and people are sure are going to slander me for that and maybe rightfully so but it's just like i just can't it's just so and there's moments like it's just like hockey like where there's moments of the game where you're just on the edge of your seat because they're just pressing, pressing, pressing towards the goal. But like, I I don't, at least hockey's like on ice and they're slamming each other into boards. Like in soccer, they're quite literally just running back and forth across the field. I don't know how they do it, quite frankly. I mean, that's a lot of running and a lot of mental focus that they're, you know, exerting for that amount of time. But when the games end in a zero zero, I mean that that's got to be bad for the sport, right? Can some can a soccer fan write to me or tweet at me and let me know? Because that seems that to me seems like it's bad for the sport. That's like, you know, the Astros winning the World Series is bad for baseball. I think draws are probably bad for soccer. Except I guess when you're the most popular sport in the world, you know, there's not really anything that's bad for the sport per se. Like you're not going to lose viewership because of it or lose popularity like people are still going to watch soccer I just maybe it's just me I just can't stand to watch a zero zero draw after watching these guys run around for 90 minutes like and that's got to be so deflating I would think as a player but I don't know anyway learned a little bit about you know the betting situation for soccer um and they're pretty spot on with a lot of these and some of the odds I, I just can't like all right, so here's one of the here's one of the dogs, right? So on Friday, Iran played Wales. No, that's a bad one. That's a bad one, Tuesday. Here we go. Okay. No, that's another bad one. Here we go. This is a good one. Okay. On Sunday, the 27th, so that was yesterday, Costa Rica and Japan played. Costa Rica was at plus 629 to win, and Japan was minus 234. Like those are some gutsy odds. Like for a for a sport that has so few points scored, I was like baffled that they can set odds. Like I'd be betting the underdog every fucking time. But then when I like actually went through and looked how many underdogs there were, there was twenty seven World Cup games played last week. Of those twenty seven, only five of them, five of the underdogs won. So, like, I guess when they make these odds, they're pretty confident. Like, hey, this is the better team. This is the team that's going to win. But, like, 
I'm kind of glad. I mean, I was in Thanksgiving over, I was in th- I was not in Thanksgiving. I was in Pennsylvania, excuse me, over Thanksgiving so I could bet sports. I'm kind of glad I live in South Carolina though because I feel like I would fall into all these soccer traps and I have known nothing about soccer, but I'd be like, oh, plus 3,200 odds, bet. Like you put $5 down. I mean, wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't want to give away too much about what, what I'm about to say next because it's going to give away my dog of the week. But bottom line is, if you're smart and you know soccer and you think you can predict a good upset and you feel good about it, put your money on it for soccer. Put your money on the dog for soccer. There's some money to be made there if you if you can predict it right. Please gamble responsibly. Um. Anyway, so over all the sports that I just talked about, so what did I say? I said basketball, NBA. I didn't do any college hoops. Dang, there's a lot of college hoops too. Well, I'll include them next week. But of the sports that I talked about, so we said, I said NBA, NHL, NFL, college football top 25, and World Cup. There was 167 games played. The dog was victorious 51 times, giving the dog a success rate of 30.5% over the last week. Woof, 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 woof. Now, the underdog of the week is... Saudi Arabia over Argentina in the World Cup. Yeah, uh, I, like I said, I'm learning the World Cup. I'm trying to get into it. So I did some research here. I was I was reading a little bit about it, asking some friends who know soccer a little bit better than I do. You know, what's the deal? Who's the favorites, etc.? So on paper, right, Argentina looks like they're the favorite, not just in this game, but just to, just to win the World Cup in general. Their roster looks, I, if you know soccer, I guess it looks absolutely stacked. They have soccer legend Lionel Messi, who's leading their charge of this team, like clear favorites to win the tournament. The odds were abs- for this game, for just this game, the odds were absolutely insane in favor of Argentina. So Saudi uh, Arabia was at plus 3,200. Argentina was minus 833. If you bet money, if you bet $5 on Saudi Arabia, you won, you won a lot of money. <laughs> So that's what I'm that's what I'm saying is like if you know if you know soccer, if you like sniff this out, which I'm sure nobody did, but if you did, you're buying me dinner because you probably have a lot more money right now than you did at the beginning of the game. Anyway, so Argentina, like I said, on paper looks to be looks to be it. They get out to an early uh one-nothing lead in the 10th minute. So 10 minutes in, boom, Lionel Messi. Gets a penalty kick, boom, puts them puts them out in front. But that was that was kind of it. They would not score again. Saudi Arabia scores um, in the 40, 48th minute, and then literally four minutes later in the fifty third minute, it was. And if you saw these goals, it was two absolutely insane goals. These soccer guys are so athletic. So the guy, the first one was with the left foot, right? So I think about basketball players, and you talk about like the left-hand, left-handed shot, whatever, whatever, and like when someone makes a left-handed layup, how how challenging it is. I, I can't even imagine like if you're right-footed using your left your left foot to score a goal. Like I can't even, 
I don't know. That's 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 just us. Maybe maybe I'm overthinking it, and it's not as crazy as I'm making it seem. I think it's insane to be able to kick a ball just as hard like that with your left foot. Um, and then the other goal was like. So the guy was literally running across the field. His momentum was taking him one way and he kicks the ball the other way. So I'm going to equate this to like Patrick Mahomes running towards the right side of the field, but he sees Travis Kelsey kind of running like a slant across the middle of the field coming down underneath. So Travis or so Patrick Mahomes throws across his body to Travis Kelsey, right? That's kind of what this goal was like was like this guy's momentum was completely going to the right. He's completely going to the right side of the post. And then he kicks it across his body back towards the other side. I mean, it was, it was, it was nuts. It was absolutely athletic. The most, one of the most athletic, athletic things I've ever seen. And the goal goes in Saudi Arabia takes a two to one lead towards the end of the game. The Saudi goalie is just making some absurd saves. Like Argentina had their chances, but this Saudi Arabia goalie was like, Nope, not today, bitch. And just saves just about everything that's sent his way. I mean, all but one goal went in. And, or excuse me, all but one goal was saved. He only let in one goal, even though, like, these guys were shooting on him, you know, rapid fire at the end. That's, you know, kind of like hockey. Like I said, you get all your last second chances, and that's basically what was happening. Um, there was a gnarly play where a ball... Oh my God, Matt Ryan just threw like the most horrendous pass I've ever seen in my life. Okay. Anyway, um, there was a crazy play where like a ball was in the air coming right out, right out in front of the net. And there's an Argentina player, there's a Saudi Arabia defender, and then the Saudi Arabia goalie. They all kind of like go up at the same time. Well, the Saudi Arabia's goalie just completely just like his knee goes completely into the defender's face and like com- like totally fucks this guy up. Apparently he was out cold for a little while. You couldn't really tell from the highlight video, but like, oh, it, it was it was brutal. If you get a chance, look it up on YouTube. That makes me sound like a sick fuck, but like, you, it's hard for me to convey exactly how intense this looked, like without t- me telling you just to go watch it. It was crazy. Um. Anyway, the, the, their goalie comes through at the end, does not let anything else in, and. Soccer heads on Twitter are just are just going absolutely bonkers. So they're saying this is one of the most historical update or upsets ever in the World Cup, which is why they're the dog of the week. If you look at Argentina's numbers before that, they were unbeaten in their last 35 games before this. So there was people that were like saying that Argentina might not lose another another game. And then boom, they lose to this way less talented team. I mean, just just nuts. Soccer Twitter's blowing up. People are going crazy. I assume this would be like if ah, uh, let's. I'm trying to think. Like the the commander. No, that's a bad example. Like if for whatever reason the Chiefs fall to the number two spot and have to play like the Jets in the playoffs, and the Jets beat the Chiefs first round of the playoffs. Like that's kind of how I predict it. But like. Yeah, it would be like the Jets knocking out the Chiefs in the first round of the playoffs. That's kind of how I see it, which would everyone would be like, what the fuck? Like, that would never happen. Well, I guess it could happen. Anyway, underdog of the week, Saudi Arabia soccer over Argentina. Woof, woof, woof. Absolutely awesome. This is not just a football podcast. This is a football podcast, okay? We cover all the football, not just the American football. 
Uh, I'm looking forward to, to watching more of the World Cup, and hopefully I'll have some more exciting updates for that um, on next week's episode. I am going to watch USA tomorrow, and I hope I can still talk about Team USA at this point. Well, I mean, I can obviously I can still talk about them, but I just meant like they're still in the mix of things, and I have something exciting to watch. I mean, not that the World Cup would be exciting without them, but you like it's it's so much better when you have some skin in the game. So let's go USA, let's go soccer. All right, I told y'all I would talk a little bit more about the college football underdogs and the rivalry week chaos. So. I mentioned the underdogs earlier, but now I'm going to break down the the underdog a little bit more. So first one was Thursday night, Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Ole Miss is really just kind of tanked at the end of the season. It's kind of a shame. Um, But they were two-and-a-half-point favorites. It was at Ole Miss. There was all kinds of murmurs and talk kind of – few weeks leading into this about Lane Kiffin potentially going to Auburn. He comes down and he says, now I'm staying at Ole Miss. At this point when I've recorded, Auburn has hired another new coach, so that can all be squashed anyway. But you have to wonder if that's affecting the locker room at all. Oh, God. Sorry, I'm watching this Colts game. Is Matt Ryan going to run? Oh, my God, Matt Ryan. What are they going to call that? Oh, Michael Pittman. There's a flag. I think Matt, Matt Ryan was past the line of scrimmage. Oh, it's incomplete anyway. And they called a holding. Anyway. Um, so, Link Kiffin, lifetime 2-0 against Mississippi State. Uh, when I was watching the game, I watched some of the game, and then I mostly just watched some highlights afterwards. I thought it was really weird that both teams were wearing gray pants. Don't ask me why. It just looked super awkward. And I like Mississippi State. I don't know if that's normally their road uniforms, but they looked they looked weird. It looked like they were trying to go for like some gray and maroon look, and it just looked stupid. And if that's normally their uniforms, then their uniform their road uniforms just look dumb. Not sorry about it. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So it was tight. It was a tight contest all the way through. Ole Miss had a sixteen to fourteen lead going into the half. Um. And Mississippi State actually let, let a really impressive drive to end the second half to make it to make it close. Um, so they're within two points going in the half. And then to this in the third quarter, there's a there's a situation where Ole Miss goes forward on fourth and two in the red zone in the third qu- quarter, and they do not convert. Right, so it's 16-14 at this point. If they kick a field goal there, that puts them up 19-14. You know, but. They don't, and they don't convert, so they give the ball back to Mississippi State. There were no scores at all in the third quarter, so the score remains 16-14 going into the fourth quarter. Um, And this is where it becomes relevant that they didn't kick a field goal on that fourth and two in the red zone because Mississippi State marches down the field early in the fourth quarter, kicks a field goal, and takes a 17-16 lead. So those are points that Ole Miss, I'm sure, would have preferred to have back. Um, and then, but shortly after that, Ra Thomas for Ole Miss catches a touchdown pass. Um, and then Mississippi State jumps out to a 24-16 lead. Again, significant that Ole Miss didn't go for that, didn't try to get those points because if they had gotten the three points, it would be 24-19, to right? So... 
When the score's 24-16, that puts them in a situation where if they score a touchdown, they would have to go for a two-point conversion because they are down by eight. Hint, hint at what's to come. Yeah. Should have gone for the field goal. Anyway, um, so halfway through the fourth quarter, it starts pouring rain, right? So you can see it. Like, it's monsooning a little bit. So that's obviously going to change the game plan and make the ball a little bit more slippery. Uh, There was a controversial fumble. So if you watch the play, the quarterback throws what looks – it looks like he's attempting a screen pass. And it looks like the ball's going forward based on the quarterback's momentum, but if you actually see the replay and draw a line, the ball does go backwards. Receiver doesn't catch it. By rule, that's a fumble. Well, once the once the ball hits the ground, the whistle's blown, right? Play is dead. Well, the officials come back, they review it, determine that the ball was passed backwards, and determine that it's Mississippi State's ball. Now, I have not listened to the experts break this down, but from my understanding, because the whistle was blown, right? Yeah, Mississippi State picks up the ball, but the whistle was blown. That Ole Miss should keep the ball where the fumble landed. But that's not what happens. Refs, George Pickens just had a crazy good catch. So what happens is they give the ball to Mississippi State, and this is where it gets ugly. Um, Ole Miss turns it over, and the student section begins to throw trash on the field. They have to pause the game because all the trash, clean it up, et cetera. Ole Miss, I'm going to talk shit on y'all right now. Like, you're better than that. Come on. Like, they love to talk shit on, like, Alabama, LSU. I mean, that's all the SEC. They all have to talk shit on one another. But when you do something dirty like that, like, you're the low of the low. You're You're not a good fan base. That's just dirty and wrong. And this is coming from a Philadelphia fan. We've done some dirty shit, okay? But don't throw trash on the fucking field. Come on. Come on. So at this point, it's still 24 to 16. Remember that significant field goal that Ole Miss didn't go for. They chose to try and get the first down instead, and they didn't. So at this point, like I said, 24-16, Mississippi State takes the ball down to the Ole Miss one-yard line, fumble. Boom, Ole Miss recovers. Okay? With a minute and 40 left, left, Almas had run down the field and scored a touchdown. So at this point, it the score is 24 to 22. Why is that significant? Oh, because they have to go for two points. Why, you ask? Because when they were in the red zone in the be- in the third quarter, they decided to go for it on fourth and two instead of kicking a field goal. Oh. So basically, uh, I watched the lamest shovel pass I've ever seen in my life. I could, I, I, I only watched it once. I, I'm sure if I slowed down the replay and watched again, I could tell who he was trying to pass to. Bottom line is, I couldn't even tell who he was trying to pass the ball to. It just looks like it floats and then hits a couple guys and lands on the ground. They don't get the two-point conversion. Mississippi State wins. So, Ole Miss, I have to ask, after... The summit, I think 
some poor coaching decisions. Are you sure you don't want, you didn't want Lane Kiffin to go to Auburn? Are you sure? I also have to ask why Auburn would be more enticing than Ole Miss. Like, oh, my dryer's going off. I'm doing laundry. Like, in what world? I mean, to me, like, that's just a lateral lateral jump. I know that it's Auburn, big Auburn, whatever. But, like, people are hyping up, like, oh, Lane Kiffin's going to go from Ole Miss to Auburn. Like, why? What's the difference? Anyway, I just want to know if Ole Miss fans out there, Ole Miss Twitter, Ole Miss sporties, sport fans, how are we feeling? Do we like Lane Kiffin? I don't like that decision he made. If he makes a field goal, I mean, anything else could have happened. Could have, you know, obviously changed the trajectory of everything else that happened. But you don't have to go for two there. You just you just win. You just win. You win the game. Anyway, that was that was uh, upset number one of the on the college week. Then there was NC State at UNC. UNC is like probably borderline the most disappointing letdown in the last like two weeks. Yes, over Tennessee. Yes, over Clemson. Yes, over LSU. I just I just felt like they were so like gung ho on the fact that they deserved to be in the college football playoff conversation because they were going to the ACC championship game. And then it's like, okay, we'll prove it. And they've done nothing but lost since then. So right off the bat, they look terrible. NC State jumps out to a 14-0 lead uh, in the second quarter. Um, And then at the end of the half – NC State fumbles, turns it over, and UNC can't take advantage of that. They can't, they can't get points off of the turnover, wasted opportunity. Um, ends up being 17 to 10 going into the half when it could have been tie game or 17-13. Again, another game where there's no points scored in the third quarter. Um, and then it starts to get a little bit exciting. So there's no points in the third quarter, and then everyone just kind of went off in the fourth quarter. So with eight minutes left in the fourth quarter, UNC ties it. An awesome quarterback run if you watch it. The guy looks so damn fast. Um, he just, like, sprints ball balls straight ahead into the end zone. It was freaking sick. Um, so they tie it. Um, and then there was nothing. Like, NC State couldn't follow up, so it scores tied. Then with four minutes and 46 seconds left, NC State picks the ball off, right? And then it, it was like the last five minutes was just utter chaos. So NCCA, a couple plays later, takes the lead. And then UNC gets the ball back, is driving down the field. Final play of regulation, fourth and goal with two seconds left on the clock. Boom. Finds a guy in the back of the end zone, ties it up. So really weird game. It was like offense came in bursts on both sides at the same time. So it was like nothing, 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 defense, snooze, snooze, boom, an explosion of offense on both sides. And then into the lull again. Anyway, then it goes to overtime, UNC and NC State, shocking, both kick field goals in the first overtime. Second overtime, NC State kicks a field goal, and then UNC misses a field goal, and that's how the game ends. UNC, you are disappointing, rivalry week at home, Two weeks ago, you were chirping about being considered for the college football playoff. Well, who the hell, who the hell, no shit, this is why you weren't considered. Moving on. 
Uh, Michigan and Ohio State. Ooh, this was fun. Uh, this was a lot of fun for me. I bet Michigan money line. Yep. And I made some money. First half, right, you're watching this, you're like, I felt a little frustrated by Michigan, and I don't know why. I think it was just because Ohio State kind of jumped out to an early lead, and I felt like Michigan had to fight and claw back from behind. But then their quarterback kind of randomly out of nowhere at certain times would just make these absolute monster plays. So, like, this Cornelius Johnson guy, holy shit. He was a beast. He was a beast. CJ Stroud was dropping some some absolute dimes as well. But like these, I mean, the big plays for Michigan are really what won this game. Like they exposed, absolutely exposed that Ohio State secondary. At the end of the first half, Cornelius Johnson has a 75-yard touchdown, take the lead 17-13 for Michigan. But then with four minutes left in the fir- in the first half, C.J. Stroud drops a, a, a dime. I mean, I, I fucking hate C.J. Stroud. I hate C.J. Stroud more than I hate Justin Fields. I don't want to compliment this guy. I do not want to compliment this guy. But when he throws the ball that beautifully, it's like, I don't know how you can say mean things. I don't know how anyone can say mean things. I don't think he's a Heisman contender, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. But, I mean... There were some throws where I was like, this is, his throwing abilities make him a Heisman contender. His decision-making does not. Quote that, put it in the history books because it's spot on, okay? ESPN, Fox Sports, CBS Sports, go ahead and steal my lines if you want. CJ Stroud's throwing abilities Make him a Heisman quarterback. His decision-making does not. Boom. Best take I've ever had on this podcast. Best take I've ever had on this podcast. Should I say it again? Harper, should I say it again? No? Okay. Harper told me not to. That's the best take I've ever had on this podcast. Put it in history books. Anyway. Drops a dime to Marvin Harrison Jr. Ohio State's winning at the half. And that's when I'm like, shit, like, okay, let me backtrack a little bit. I felt like a sick fuck wanting Michigan to win, okay? Just to set the record straight, I went to Penn State. I am a Penn State Nittany Lion fan. I have a diploma from the Pennsylvania State University. Naturally, I hate Yes, hate, not dislike. I hate Michigan and I loathe Ohio State, okay? I hate them both. That's just how it goes. Even before I went to Ohio or to Penn State, I hated them, okay? That's just the way that's just the way the story unfolds for me. I was rooting for Michigan to win simply because I hate Ohio State more. Okay? When I say I was nervous, um, I wasn't that nervous. I mean, I'm not emotionally attached to either of these teams. I just really didn't want Ohio State to win. But, like, if Michigan would have lost, I, 
you know, would have been pissed, but whatever. Like I would not have cared that much. Anyway, I was nervous because it looked like it was going to be close and coming down to the wire just based off what the score was at the half. And traditionally the home team has the advantage in those kind of situations. So I was like, shit, this is going to come down to the wire. I was wrong. Thankfully, I didn't record that on this podcast because that would have been a wrong take and I could have been exposed. I was wrong. Um, the Ohio State secondary embodies the poop emoji. They are very bad. Right off the bat, in the second half, they throw a 45-yard bomb to take the lead, right? And just like, that's what, like these major plays... That was the difference in this game was that Ohio State just could not stop them for whatever reason. And then in the in the fourth quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter, J.J. McCarthy, their quarterback, has a uh, rushing touchdown to, to extend the lead. So it's 31-20. So here's where I start to explain why C.J. Stroud's uh, decision-making abilities are not – Heisman material. So they get into the red zone, but they don't score a touchdown. So failed opportunity to get six points on the board. So the reason that's so significant is because on that very next Michigan drive, Donovan Edwards has a monster run, and Michigan goes up 38 to 23. At, at that point, if you're Ohio State, you're like, okay, like uh, this is this is getting ugly, right? Like you're about to get your shit stomped in. If you have four more points and it's 38 to 27, it feels a little bit more manageable. But at this point, it's like you have to be perfect from here on out, right? So again, Ohio State's driving down the field. At this point, they they know they have to get seven, right? So they're in the red zone, and C.J. Stroud throws the laziest lob pass I've ever seen, like ever. I shouldn't say that because I just totally critiqued the shit out of that two-point conversion in the Ole Miss game that was a lob pass and failed, but this was pretty bad. This was just like lazy, like, I'm trying to get rid of the ball. Here you go, and it's picked off with three minutes to go. And then guess what? Guess what? Donovan Edwards, a monster, a fucking monster, a monster mash, okay? Has an 85-yard run to extend the lead 45 to 23. And then at this point, it's just absolute, like, desperation mode for Ohio State. So C.J. Stroud's just, like, slinging the ball over the place, throwing it without thinking. I feel like I can relate. And here's why I feel like I can relate because everybody who's ever played Madden has been in that situation where you just like, you just feel so frustrated. You just want to march down the field. So you're just like the first guy you see streaking down the sideline. It doesn't matter how many defenders there are. You're slinging the ball towards him. That's how I, that's how I feel like he felt. Okay. Uh, and no, I'm not seriously comparing Madden to how CJ Stroud felt in that moment. But like, that's, I've never played football. I've never been a, quarterback in a big 10 monster house college. Um, so that's, that's how I'm comparing it. That is the closest thing that I can get 
to what CJ Stroud was feeling in that moment. And when I'm in that moment in Madden, I'm just heaving it down the field, heaving it down the field and hoping my guy catches it. I, I, I assume that's what CJ Stroud was thinking in that moment. He obviously had more at stake than my cute little Madden league. Uh, anyway, by the way, I am so glad this is the last week without Deshaun Watson. Yep, I said that. Because Matt Ryan, I started him this week. I knew I shouldn't have because I had a feeling TJ Watt was just going to eat him up. But Matt Ryan looks like poop. They're making a move in the pocket, and it's just ugly. Anyway, CJ Stroud, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to state this take again. His throwing ability makes him a Heisman contender. His decision-making does not. Boom. I'm sipping my coffee. Anyway, that was fun. College football's fun. Anyway, next game, LSU and A&M. This was just ugly. I, I'm like, I was like watching the highlights and trying to write down stuff that I could say about this game. I, it hurts me a little bit to say this, but like not that much. LSU is like a top five fraud. Like they're top five because they beat Alabama, but like they got their faces kicked in by Tennessee and basically got their faces kicked in by Texas A&M. Texas A&M was one in six against SEC opponents going into this game. Uh, LSU's offense is bad, really bad. Uh, and I'm honestly a little bit afraid of what that's going to look like against Georgia's defense in the SEC championship game. Like, if I'm an LSU fan, I'm, I'm nervous. Like, I would almost be like, can we forfeit because this is going to be ugly. I, I hope when I record this next week, that I I can be exposed on that take, but like that was really bad. And Texas A&M isn't good. Like you guys put up, LSU puts up 23 points against A&M who isn't, they're not good. Like that's not a good team. So Georgia's defense is just, is, is monstrous. Oh, I'm going to say something. I hope I hope I can call myself out next week, but I could see less than 10 points for LSU. No, I'm going to – zero points. Zero points for LSU in the SEC championship game. Mark my words. Maybe I'll be wrong, and you guys can expose me. But I could, I could see it. They're just – uh, if, if they get to Jalen Daniels, don't let him get out of the pocket and use his legs. It's going to be fucking ugly. It's one of those things where it's like, if you're an LSU fan, are you excited to be playing in that game? I guess you're excited for a chance, but whew, I don't know about all that. And I don't mean to crack down on them like that. I actually like LSU. My sister went to LSU. My brother-in-law went to LSU. So like, I like LSU. I just, I think it's a fraud top five team. I mean, yeah. (sighs) Anyway, final upset in college football of rivalry week, Clemson and and South Carolina. uh, Clemson loses their second game of the season. This game was wild, actually. 
I think back to the first quarter, Spencer Rattler throws a pick six by Jeremiah, Jeremiah Trotter Jr. Shout out to the Jeremiah Trotters. Jeremiah, Jeremiah Trotter Sr. was an eagle once upon a time. So, and then Will Shipley is just a monster. Like, you're breaking off mega runs in the beginning of this game. DJ scores a rushing, rushing touchdown. Before you know it, it's 14-0 Clemson. Clemson hadn't lost a home game since 2016 and jumped out to a 14-0 lead early in the first quarter. Offense looking essentially unstoppable. Defense making Spencer Rattler look silly. So it was almost one of those things where we I had this game on because my girlfriend loves Clemson and this is what she wanted to watch. But I, it was almost one of those things where I was like, oh, Clemson's just going to completely own them and we'll be able to solely focus on the Ohio State-Michigan game. My goodness, was I wrong. Uh, it went from looking like it was going to be a long day for the Gamecocks to all of a sudden them just like turning around. Nate Atkins, the tight end for the Gamecocks, made one of the most incredible catches I've ever seen. It was like that Cole Komet catch that uh, Cole Komet for the Bears had a couple weeks ago where he's just like l- like completely laying himself out across the middle of the field, sticks an arm out and pulls the ball in. It was absolutely insane. Jalen Brooks on the Gamecocks, fucking fast. You watch him run, it's like I don't know how – like you. the only way to take a guy down like that is to like make a physical wall to block him from going anywhere. You're not going to chase him down one-on-one. He is fast. Uh – there was a lot of really interesting coaching decisions. At one point, South Carolina goes for it on fourth and goal. And Spencer Rattler makes this crazy throw to the back of the end zone, and this guy, Juice Wells, catches it and makes it 14-7. So at that point, they start, start to show a little bit of life. And then Clemson starts to kind of kick themselves in the foot a little bit and, like, bad. So they do one of those things where the ball's kicked off and then they all huddle together and secretly hand it off to someone else. So Will Shipley hands it off to Phil Maffa, okay? And at first it worked. Like, I didn't know who had the ball. The cameraman didn't know who had the ball. It looked like there was just a bunch of guys running everywhere and you couldn't tell where the ball actually was. Well, it turns out Phil Maffa had the ball and he's, like, running up the sideline, you know, making this kick return way better than what it looked like it was going to be. And I don't know if someone told him to do this, if he thought, like, hey, I still have these five other guys around me. He, like, just lobs the ball forward. And I had tweeted that it was a Madden-like play, but, like, I've never even done that in Madden. And it was such an unnecessary spot. Like, I don't know if he was just trying to, like, make shit happen. Like, it, it looked like one of those plays where at the end of a game... Um, at the end of the game where they lateral the ball to one another because they can not like, time's expired and they need points. So, like, they're just laddering the ball back and forth, throwing it forward, fumbling it forward, whatever, just to try and score. But, like, he intentionally la- rattled it, lateraled it. No, lobbed it. He didn't even lateral it. He just, like, lobbed it forward in a spot where he didn't need to do that. Like, they were up 14-7 and their offense was just being fucking absolutely dominant. And so South Carolina recovers it and then scores. I mean, Spencer Rattler 
after that has a Superman type run. He looks fast as fuck. He escapes pressure and just boop, zips up the sideline and scores and makes it 14-14. So they went from potentially being 21-7 because I would, we'll never know, but I would have bet a lot of money that Clemson would have scored on that drive if Phil Moffat didn't do something like that. But instead it becomes 14-14, right? And now it's interesting. Um... This game was was tough to watch at different points in the game for different fan bases, depending on what side you were on. So the beginning was really hard to watch for Gamecocks fans, and then at the end, it was really hard to watch for Clemson fans. Um, at the end of the second half, Spencer Rattler throws this, this god-awful interception where it looked like he had a lot of field in front of him to, to potentially run and definitely had enough space around him to get rid of the ball where he didn't have to try and fit it where he did, and he throws it into double coverage, like not even close to his man. Clemson picks it off. And at that point, I guess as a Clemson fan, you're feeling pretty good. Like, it's 23-14. Going into the halftime, uh, you know, Gamecocks, rivalry week, home field advantage. It's looking good. And then it all kind of starts to, to crumble a little bit. So right out of the bat at the second half, Clemson can't do anything with it. Special teams kind of hurts them a little bit because they punt the ball to the Gamecocks. The Gamecocks run it back for good field position. They end up scoring. Now the score is 21-23. Um, okay, so it's a little bit close. Uh and Juice Wells, I also just want to point out, is so fucking fast. Scores a 72-yard touchdown just because he just he's like Tyreek Hill, just completely just like dusts everybody. Like zing, and he's, and he's gone. Um, and he does that, and that makes it 20 to 30. And it was like once the Gamecocks go ahead, 31 to 30, that was like DJ in... DJ in the beginning of the game versus DJ in high-pressure moments, two different guys. And DJ makes a terrible choice, picks it off. South Carolina needs one first down or a couple first downs. They get it, run out the clock, game over. Really just absolute insanity. It's, I, I feel uh, DJ Ugalandale is is very athletic. I don't think he's a quarterback. I think he's a running back or... I don't know, bulks up a little bit, becomes a tight end. He's not a quarterback. Maybe he is, but not a Clemson. He looks more like a, I don't know, like a App State quarterback. Like, this is Clemson. This is this is where Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson went to school. What the hell are you doing? I mean, it's hard. He had some big shoes to fill, and that's tough. But I don't know, man. Big moments, you got to come up big, and he didn't. Anyway, uh, I think overall this will obviously have some impact on the college football playoff. I think we're looking at Georgia, Michigan, TCU, USC, and assuming all four of them win this weekend, that'll that's what it'll be. So I love it. Um, I hate that Michigan's in it, but I'd rather Michigan over Ohio State. I don't think... Ohio State only gets in if TCU or USC lose because 
they got stomped at home by Michigan. They really don't deserve to be in it. And I've mentioned this before. I think there's something to be said for the conference winners that the committee needs to prioritize the conference winners and put more emphasis on that. Uh, because that's what that's what these teams should be trying to do is win their conference. So I think it'll be UGA, Michigan, TCU, USC. So I guess a little bit later tonight we will find out. Fuck, fat Pat Fryermuth almost had a touchdown. That would have been nice. Anyway, moving right along, let's talk about some sad girl hours here. So I'm, I'm just really excited about this because I can't wait to enjoy this. I am going to enjoy every second of it because I can. And you can listen to this and you can yell at me, cry, whatever. I am very much aware that my my team, Penn State, is not as good as Ohio State. I'm very much aware. But I do enjoy seeing Ohio State in pain. And I'm not going to sit here and act like I don't. Okay? So, my sad girls this week is Ohio State. And I'll tell you why. Here was some of the beautiful content that was out on the internet for everyone to read. So, apparently Ryan Day said, if we were able to get a shot in the top four, we'd be a dangerous team. So, he's obviously still hoping and praying that somehow his team gets in. Again, if USC and TCU lose, I do think there's a chance. But he's obviously hoping for that. Uh... This guy quotes a tweet that says that and says, it'd be dangerous for his job. Sure. Losing by 40 plus to Georgia won't sit well with anyone. So Ohio State fans, I think they know they're bad and are like, we don't want to get in because if we get in, Georgia would stomp us. And I'm just like, that's, that's too fucking good. And then he follows up with, Urban would not let this happen, by the way. So like they're salty that Urban Meyer's not there anymore. Uh, too good. Too good. Um, then there was another tweet that said, football is a game of matchups. You may actually be better off versus a superior team than you are an inferior team. One, all depending on style, strengths, makeup of team. All I know is there are three teams I can think of that are matchup nightmares for us. Alabama, Georgia, and Michigan. So it's just funny how it's like, the, the script flips where it's like they're talking shit all week on Michigan and then it's like, no, we suck. We can't match up with any of these teams. Woe is me, right? Then this was probably, uh, one, I wish I, I should have clipped some things and actually inserted audio into this, but this, this was wild. I've never seen anything uh, on Twitter like about this there or like this. There was this audio room. I don't even know what they're called on Twitter, but it was called the Ohio State Fans Vent Room. And it was basically like, you can drop into these uh, sessions on Twitter. And if the host lets you, you can speak. So like all these fans were just like venting about how awful the game was for Ohio State, about how bad they are. And like, so I just want to say every take that I make, I do with almost like a sense of humor. Like, I am not claiming 
to know CJ Stroud or know how he makes decisions or I'm trying to think of another take I made today. Like, I'm not going to sit here and critique the way Brian Kelly coaches LSU seriously because I don't I don't know what goes on in the locker room. I'm not going to claim to. I don't I see what happens on the field on game day and that's how I base my takes, okay? But there are grown ass men and women who are literally like literally go into this Ohio State vent room after they lose to Michigan, okay? And are ripping Ryan Day apart for opening his office to players. Okay, they're going on on and on and on these rants about how wrong it is for Ryan Day to let players just come sit in his office because there's no boundaries and there's no respect and yada yada. And I'm like, is that really what you're going to pick apart right now? Is that Ryan Day is letting players come sit in his office and have a conversation with their head coach? Like, you have no idea what those conversations look like. They could, he, he could be inviting them into his office just to rip them a whole new one. Like, some of this stuff was ab- absolutely absurd. And then some of these guys just start going on these, like, stupid rants about I don't even know what. Like, they just keep they're, – they're, like, kicking their own team in the face – this guy, this is a literal quote from this guy. What I saw yesterday was embarrassing to see this program get punched in the mouth and just fold like a lawn chair. And these guys are out here like critiquing the culture of Ohio State, critiquing the culture that Ryan Day has established. And I'm like, come on, bro. Are you in that locker room every day? How do you have any idea? You're just some fool on Twitter that's like throwing these wild takes out there because you're bored and because you're pissed off that you lost like Ryan Day I mean doesn't have the the championships like Urban Meyer did you guys are out here they're out here calling for him to be fired. The dude is 45 and 5 as a head coach and has been to two college football playoffs. For fuck's sake, I've been watching James Franklin now for 8 years and I have not seen a single college football playoff and I've only seen one Big 10 title. Like come on guys, come on. You all are out here calling for his damn job. I would love to see who could come in and take over that program and do the same thing. Like, I would love to. I would love to see who would come in and shit their players, shut the players out of the office and change the culture so that players can't come in the coach's office. Like, come on, guys. Y'all are sad. This is loser talk. I can't stand when, like, these guys go out there and, and, and talk on the internet like they have an idea what the conversations are between a coach and his players in the locker room. Like, or in his office. Like, come on, dude. You have you have no idea. Anyway, it's so funny to me to see these sad girl hours of Ohio State. You guys have been owned two years in a row on the last day of the regular season by Michigan. 
Jim Harbaugh owns you this year and last year. And I hate Jim Harbaugh, but I love to see you guys cry. Cry, Ohio State. What's a Buckeye? Sad, sad, boo-hoo. And I mean all of it. I mean all of it. I don't take any of it back. Come at me if you want. Yes, I know Penn State isn't isn't as good as you guys. Like, you can come at me with that all you want. You guys are in way more pain right now than I am. Like, Penn State's chilling. I'm probably going to be 7th or 8th ranked, get a nice bowl game, and that'll be that. We didn't melt down this year after we lost to y'all. Like, W. W in my book. And you guys are essentially going to be in the same position because you're not making the playoff. Cry, Buckeyes, cry. Anyway, sad girl hours, week four, episode four, Ohio State Buckeyes, boo-hoo. And I hope you guys break the streak of sad girl hours winning the week after being sad girl hours. Oh, wait, you're not playing. (laughs) All right, moving right along. I'm going to close out today with fantasy studs. Fantasy studs, we are looking at week 13. Let's go. Welcome back, Deshaun Watson. Yep, I said it. Welcome back, baby. Um, I actually, there's Monday Night Football right now, and I haven't looked at my scores. I needed a monster game from Pat Firemuth and Michael Pittman to win. And it doesn't look great, but it's still early. Let's see. Pittman... Five targets, two receptions, 16 yards. That's terrible. Fire me with three targets, two receptions, 22 yards. It's not over, though. It's definitely not over. Anyway, um, fantasy studs. So, week 12, let's see. I got two studs, right? <laughs> I got Josh Allen. He was one of the top quarterbacks. And I said San Francisco defense. Those were the two I got right. Um, Top running backs, Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders, Nick Chubb. I'm trying to see. Oh, the tight ends was definitely the most unpredictable one. Like, no one would have ever predicted this. Uh, I had said it was going to be George Kittle, Pat Fryermuth, Travis Kelsey. I guess it still could be Fryermuth because Monday Night Football's on right now. I'm not going to make. Monday picks for that anymore. But what it actually was, was Dalton Schultz, Josh Oliver, who the hell is that? And Hunter Henry. So tight end, that's literally the hardest one to pick. Um, I'm trying to, there was, none of the other ones were like completely outlandish. Trevor Lawrence was one of the top uh, quarterbacks. What a great game he had. If you watch that, that was, that was awesome. I'm like, I don't know why I feel like I have this tie to Clemson. I mean, my girlfriend loves Clemson. I always feel like I need to defend Trevor Lawrence. I just, I think he's such a good guy and I want him to succeed. And people have been shitting on him saying he shouldn't have been the first round, first over, first overall pick. And Justin Fields is better. I would just, I just want to point out something real quick. Okay. Trevor Lawrence is losing two minutes on the clock, takes his team down. Scores a touchdown. Okay? Not only scores a touchdown, right? His coach goes for two. He converts the two-point conversion, wins the game for his team over a dominant force of the Ravens. 
Justin Fields would never. Justin Fields would never. Okay. Two points I'm going to make here. One, I told you all this last week. I have a bet with my buddy, $50 on the line, that Justin Fields would be a top five. I said he wouldn't be a top five fantasy quarterback. He said he would. Justin Fields missed a game. That's a lot of points. Okay? So I'm feeling good about that bet now. I haven't checked where he is now. I don't want to check. But I'm feeling good. I'm feeling better. Two, if Justin Fields was in that same situation as Trevor Lawrence, he would not have done what Trevor did. He would not have been successful. I know it for a straight fact. Justin Fields can run. Justin Fields is fun to watch. Justin Fields is not a clutch time quarterback. Okay, should I repeat that? Is that the second best take I've ever had on one of the boys? Justin Fields is fast. Justin Fields is fun to watch. Justin Fields is not a clutch time quarterback. I don't even know if I said the same thing twice, but it it had the same message. <laughs> Second best take I've ever made on one of the boys, okay? At me, quote me, sabotage me, send all your hate. Justin Fields ain't it. Unless you unless you need a running back. Not sorry. Moving on. Um, all right, so back to fantasy studs. I'm really bad at this, so don't don't listen to me. I, I, I actually think I do this segment just for my own entertainment at this point because I just want to see if I'm right and add another stat line, add another stat line to my to my book here. So here we go. Week 13, fantasy studs. Big week. Big, big week. We are on the cusp, on the cusp of the playoffs. So there's two more regular season weeks, and then we'll hit the playoffs. One league, I'm trying to lock in the first round by. Other league, I'm just trying to get in. Looks like I'm hopefully going to be in after this week. Um, so here we go. Week 13, fantasy studs. Quarterback, my top three. I've got Justin Herbert versus the Raiders. Okay, Gino put up a 34 spot against him. I think the Chargers are starting to get some of their guys back. Justin Herbert's going to have Keenan Allen. He's got Josh Palmer. That looks like he's going to be a beast. Um, you know, Austin Eckler checked down machine. Not going to say anything more there. Justin Herbert has a day. Deshaun Watson, the Texans. Hold on. Let me backtrack because I'm not stupid. I'm not saying Deshaun Watson, Watson plays for the Texans. He now plays for the Browns. He's playing against the Texans this week, okay? So he comes back against a an awful, awful Texans team, okay? Tua put up, what, like four first-half touchdowns, and then they pulled him out. I, don't, I mean, he only played a few snaps in the second half of the game. Deshaun Watson, it's his old team. There's bad blood there. He's fired up. Probably will get a massage beforehand and just has a day against the Texans. He will cure all my fantasy woes, okay? And then last but not least, Trevor Lawrence playing against the Giants or the Lions. Not obviously not a great defense. Trevor Lawrence, he, he kind of had a breakout game, right? 
those kind of moments that Trevor had, those are the moments that start to really define you, kind of get the wheels going, get your confidence under you. He's playing against a bad defense this week. I think Trevor Trevor has a day, okay? Running backs. Ugh, this one's hurting me. It's like a dagger to the heart. I'm hoping this will be false. I'm not good at this, right? I am not good at fantasy studs, so I'm hoping this will be one of the ones that I'm not good at. But Derrick Henry, okay, the Titans are playing the Eagles. Eagles run defense hasn't been great. Brian Robinson versus the Giants. I think the Giants are just slowly starting to be exposed. I think they lose this game. And then I'm going, I'm heavy on the Jags this week. I think the Jags got, got some momentum under them. I think Travis Etienne, he was hurt last week, not happy about it. He wants to come back and prove he's the guy. Not just the guy, but one of the best guys in the NFL. I love it. Let's go. Wide receiver, I'm just going to continue to pick CeeDee Lamb. I hate the Cowboys, but I need them fantasy points. CeeDee Lamb playing the Colts. I'm watching the Steelers right now on Monday Night Football play against the Colts. The Steelers with a pretty thin receiving core are kind of making the Colts secondary look a little bit silly. Uh, Amari Cooper, versus again, versus the Texans. He gets Deshaun back. Him and Deshaun kind of get uh, that that connection going and just, you know, Amari Cooper was catching a fuck ton of balls from Jacoby Brissett. I think he doubles that with Deshaun Watson and just has a day. And then Christian Kirk, I need Christian Kirk to get red hot. Red hot, okay? Playoffs, mathematically not out of question, but, like, you got to win out. Doug Peterson, step up, find opportunities for this guy, hit Christian Kirk, let's get some tutties. And then tight ends, this is always just, like, which name on this list, which matchup looks best, sort of. I like Dawson Knox versus the Patriots. I think they're going to de- Patriots defense is going to defend those receivers really well, and they're going to have the Bills are going to going to have to get kind of creative with who they give the ball to, and Dawson Knox becomes one of the guys. Same thing with Mike Jazicki. So the Dolphins facing off against the 49ers. The uh, 49ers defensive line is just absurd. So I think there's going to have to be a lot of those quick throws, quick throws, quick throws, um, and Mike Jazicki becomes a guy. And then Gerald Everett versus the Raiders. I didn't pick any Chargers wide receivers or running backs, but I do think the Chargers are kind of starting to get ahead of steam, and Gerald Everett's one of the guys. Uh, Defense special teams. So I am forever going to pick the defense that is playing against the Houston Texans from here on out. This week is the Browns. Browns defense isn't bad. Held Tom Brady and the Bucs to 17 points. Now you have Kyle Allen and the Houston Texans, okay? Dolphins defense won me my fantasy team this week, won me my fantasy game this week because they put up a 38 spot against the Texans. Not because the Dolphins defense is that good. The Texans are that bad. The Steelers, I think, are going to have a day against the Falcons. They look pretty good right now against the Colts. I think the Steelers' defensive front just really disrupts the backfield and doesn't allow the run game to get going for the Falcons, which kind of throws up their whole game plan, which means, you know what that means? It's a great week to not have to rely on Marcus Mariota. Goodbye. Um, Although if I win my league, I did say I would buy his jersey. And then the Ravens, uh, uh, defense versus the Broncos. Ravens need to have a revenge game of all revenge games. Their defense is going to be angry. Their defense is going to be hungry. Um, 
And the Broncos are not good at all. Like, they lost to the Carolina Panthers who are, like, this is wild. I can't even believe I'm about to say this. The Broncos pay Russell Wilson all this money, put the pieces together to have a good team, like, show their cards as a team that's going to try and be competitive and then lose to a team that's literally the exact opposite of that, is giving away all their players, trading away all their personnel, basically, to get picks. And they win this game. They won that game. That is, like, the the Broncos, That they should be sad girl hours. They should have been sad girl hours, but Ohio State was too good not to do. The Broncos are fucking bad, really bad. And they didn't go out and make moves in the offseason to be this bad. Wild. Absolutely wild. Yeah. Anyway, that wraps up my fantasy stud predictions for week 13. It is almost 10 o'clock at night. It is halftime of this Colts-Steelers game. So I'm going to wrap up recording here, do my editing tomorrow, and get this content out to you guys as soon as possible. I hope everybody... One, had a fantastic Thanksgiving, and two, has a fantastic week, a fantastic weekend. Lots of good football. I'll be thinking of your fantasy teams as we come down to crunch time, except my opponents. I will not be thinking of your fantasy teams um, in a nice way, but everybody else, best of luck to you out there. Uh, conference, Conference championships this week in college football. By this time next week, I'll be making my final predictions of who I think the playoff is going to be. I hope it's not anything crazy exciting because that means someone would have lost and potentially give Ohio State a shot, and I do not want that. But I I love good, crazy football, so I guess that wouldn't be the worst thing that happens. Anyway, thank you all for listening. This has been a fun one to record today. Have a great week. Thanks for being here.